0: I don't know if you know some of the old movies back in the day in action movies when the villain was about to uh, be disposed of after a very long plot and narrative the hero used to say something like prepare to meet your maker so I'd like to say to you prepare to meet your maker so some of you have um, no doubt or some of you might actually be thinking well I already know my maker thanks very much but do you really do you really do any of us really know God as much as we with our finite minds can? I don't think so. I think there's much more to discover about God. And so we have over time, I guess, struggled with the idea of there's such a big Bible, where do you preach? What do you preach from? And so this is a way of answering that, which is to say, let's look at the Old Testament. Let's start there. Let's start with sort of a guiding trajectory, which will be the characters of the Bible, And let's put ourselves in the feet, in the shoes, sandals, whatever of those characters as they meet God and try to experience what it's like to meet God. There's a phrase in the Bible that repeats many times about seeking the face of God, which is interesting when you think about the fact that the Bible also says that no one has seen God. And so we put those things together and you see the little motif up there that we've come up with, which is the Meet God Almighty mega series where mega stands for. Meet God Almighty. And you can see on the left, it's seeking the face of God, finding the face of Jesus. And when I was trying to put this graphic together, I was listening to some good cello music and felt inspired and just started to think about that. And I even liked the picture because the guy's kind of staring up into the stars, kind of the mega cosmos, thinking about God right behind him, seeking the face of Jesus and the earthy part is is Jesus. And this is the Christian story, isn't it? It's that God is the God of the cosmos and yet he has come as a man and his face can be seen in the face of Jesus. We're told in Hebrews that in previous times it was the prophets and you know all the scriptures that used to point towards uh, God. But now the ultimate impression, the ultimate representation, the ultimate personification of God himself is Jesus. So whatever we see in Jesus, whatever stories whatever insights he has, we should be able to pick up, in, uh, up on in the Old Testament in God. We should see similar characteristics, similar values and so forth. So this whole series, I'm, uh, your preachers say they're excited. It's not so much excited, I'm a little bit scared. I'm a little bit scared of what we might find there because we have to deal with some pretty troubling things at times. So we're actually going to have a sub-series. It's going to be mega on a bad day, meeting God Almighty on a bad day. A bit of a play on words, but... We're going to deal with some of those issues that uh, atheists often attack the church over. Genocide, uh, patriarchy, all those things. They're all going on on the table. (laughs) That's why it's scary, right? But if we really believe that God is the ultimate representation as found in Jesus, or Jesus is the ultimate representation, the ultimate impression, that, that very word in Hebrew struggles to get the true meaning across. If we really believe that Jesus is God... I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to dive into genocide and patriarchy and the other things that atheists want to accuse us of in the scriptures. I'm not afraid of that at all because I've got the cross. And every time I'm going to come back to the cross, I'm going to come back to those nail-scaled hands, and I'm going to say, what do you do with this? What do you do with the great God of the universe, the mega God who has done that? And I encourage you in your own doubting times to continually come back to the cross and the open tomb. So this mega series is mega in more ways than one. Today, uh, I want to preach to you the first, ser- uh, first sermon from that series. It's going to be over two years. Maybe to even be more. Maybe it'll just be multi-year. I don't know. But we're going to go through the Old Testament from start to finish and then get into the New Testament, seeking the face of God, finding the face of Jesus. We begin in Luke 24. You might want to turn there, verse 13. To many of you, a very famous passage, maybe a, a great story. Such a wonderful story. There's so many kind of twists of irony in there, drama, humor. Uh, It's the road to Emmaus story. As we know, that comes after the resurrection. There's two disciples walking along the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about 11 clicks, 11 kilometers. So it takes probably a couple of hours. And suddenly there's this figure, this stranger walking with them. And Luke, kind of with a bit of a twist of irony, he tells us that it's Jesus. But he also makes sure that as he writes that story, we know what they don't know. And we know that they don't know. That's what kind of makes the story work so well. They don't know it's Jesus. So anyway, today I've called this sermon, The Fellowship of the Burning Hearts. And that may be a phrase that's fairly familiar to you. There's a podcast, there's a whole uh, book series about it. We'll talk later about where that quote came from. But what I wanted to start off with is assumptions, expectations, and reality. Just think about those words, assumptions, expectations, and reality. We have a mental framework of understanding. Psychologists talk about heuristics, little frameworks in our mind, about how to place things into position in the world so that we can understand reality. It's a bit like a map. So the other day I was off riding on my magnificent new giant mountain bike which I have discovered magpies hate. Uh, It's got these bright fluoro-orange forks that kind of look cool, and everyone goes, that's a nice-looking bite. Magpies just go, I'm angry. I've never been swooped so much this year. Never in my life have I been swooped so much as this year, in 2018. I don't know why the magpies are so angry this year. Perhaps it's just reflective of what's happening in the world. I don't know. I mean, it was so bad, I thought I was done on this particular ride, got home, this is a tangent, got home, and the peewees that have nested in our front tree there, you know, a big golden rain tree, they swooped me. I was like, this is my house, guys. Don't swoop me at my house. And then the other day, this was literally only a week ago, magpie swooping season is done, I'm riding down towards Queen's Park, and next thing, there's these two ducks with their little ducklings, and obviously they thought, what's this guy doing? And they're like, wings are up and they're coming at me and my legs are coming up doing these ones. It's like, I had the air and ground attack uh, well down. Anyway, that's a tangent. What I want to say is I went out riding, went off down the range there, haven't been down this particular way for a while and I didn't really know all the tracks that well, but I thought, you know what, I've got Google Maps, I've got Apple Maps on my phone, which is hooked up to my bike. I've got Navigon, which doesn't even need the internet to work. There's no way I'm getting lost today. (laughs) <laughs> so off I go and I come to this first fork and I'm like looking at my Google Maps and looking at Apple Maps I'm going there's no fork in the road on this map straight away my assumptions and expectations based on the map are subverted by reality I'm looking ahead I'm going oh okay what do I do now what do you do in that situation <laughs> I just kept going hoping to see something that did make sense um, <laughs> I think most people do now this is what Google Maps gave me, which you can see up there on the little blue dot, right? But I'm on a track, I know I'm on a track and I'm on a bend in a track and I'm looking around. There's no bend in the track. Google Maps is showing me that I'm not even on a track. So again, I'll, go, I'll just keep going until I see something navigationally useful, but pretty soon there's like big hills, there's ruts. It's all getting really difficult. Gage smiling, because he's probably seen this particular track. Um, and I'm just thinking to myself, Why doesn't this map match up with reality? Then I get to this track that I thought I was going to go along, and it says no access, private property, keep out. I'm thinking I'm feeling very unloved, very unwanted. And I'm in the middle of the bush, and I'm continuing flipping back between the maps going, what is going on here? Then Google Maps comes up very handily. Explore food and drinks nearby. (laughs) I'm like, the only food I've got nearby is a squash muesli bar in my uh, pocket and some water bottles, which are getting empty, getting emptier by the minute because I'm sweating my backside off and just all the water's going down. And it's like, Google, you've got no idea. You've got no idea. I can't explore food and drinks around me because I don't know where around me is. Um, So thanks very much, but nick off kind of thing. Um, Anyway, so again, assumptions, expectations, that's me wondering how I'm going to get out of this mess. I'll talk about that later. There's another one that happens as well with assumptions. Expect- it happens all the time. Assumptions, expectations, reality. And, and this is all about what do you do in that moment between the rupturing of your assumption and expectation and the reality. Some people actually, and this is a serious thing, it's not just about maps, guys. Some people give up their faith. When they see that what they've assumed about God is wrong, they punch out. Everyone's familiar with Westboro Baptist Church, probably. You know, they're the guys that, Hold up those delightful signs at weddings, um, weddings, well, sometimes weddings, um, funerals, soldiers' funerals, about God hating homosexuals and all that rubbish. Uh, The daughter, I don't know if you saw it in the news, she recently came out, um, came out in a different way, came out of that church. She had, it's hyper-Calvinistic, so it's Calvinistic in all the wrong ways, not any good ways. uh, And she came out and said, you know what, Romans 9, if that's what God's like, I'm punching out of this church and I'm punching out of my faith. And now she's a great spokeswoman for atheism. So this is, this is big because there's some, there's some people here who already have doubts. There's some people who will be listening. that already have significant um, heart-rupturing doubts about Jesus. Does anyone know? Here's another example. Does anyone know what street this is in Toowoomba? It is in Toowoomba. You can see my Amarok park there. Does anyone want to Campbell guess? Oh, yeah. yeah. And what street is it? Campbell, Campbell Street. Now, how come, Eddie, you're absolutely, you did well because you know that area. Now, everyone in Toowoomba knows that Campbell Street is a famous street. Now, is that what you expect from Campbell Street? Dirty old industrial area, big silos, fences. No, what what do you expect? You normally expect, it is Campbell Street, just to prove there's the sign. You normally expect kind of green leafy suburbs, really nice old Queenslanders. Everyone knows Campbell Street's the street in Toowoomba, right, it's the most expensive street or close to it. Again, assumptions, expectations. You're at the wrong end of Campbell Street. You're going, this is not Campbell Street. I'm punching out of Campbell Street. Don't like Campbell Street. Assumptions, expectations, reality. And so the question I want to ask ourselves as we launch our mega series, it's a far more important one. And I want us to constantly ask ourselves as we go through these sermons, whether you think they're good or not. And a lot of this we're putting back onto you to say, hey, Bob's helped us out with a reading plan. Please, please, please take this opportunity to read through the Old Testament yourself, fill in the gaps, see if what we're saying is true. But the question I want us to constantly ask is, are our expectations, our assumptions about God in Jesus, in all his fullness, accurate? Are they accurate enough to recognize him, to recognize his ways, his likes, his dislikes, his characteristics, he is a person. He is the ultimate person, but he is a person and he has made us to be personal with him. So anyway, let's read about an encounter, encounter, this encounter in the road to Emmaus. Assumptions, expectations, terrible tragedy, trauma. And Jesus shows up reading from verse 13 in Luke 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Just just imagine that. You're just walking down, I don't know, you're walking out to Oki or something. And you're on one of those dirt roads out the back. You're with a friend and Jesus starts walking with you. Well, the the Bible doesn't even, normally a writer will try and build that up a bit. If it was a movie, there'd be like a very distinct change in the soundtrack. Some drums and things, maybe. It's just, Jesus just starts walking with them. I think, I think that's cool. Now, um, as they talked and, discussed, this and they discussed these things, Jesus comes up, and I love this bit, because there's a lot of irony and, and humor here, but they were kept from recognizing Now, we're not told why. I don't think it's a mystical reason. I don't think it's a deliberate kind of God says, right, you're not going to see. I actually think they're just kept from recognizing him for a number of physical reasons, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and, and reality reasons. So Jesus says, what are you discussing as you walk along? And you've got to see the humour here. It's almost like Jesus has been a bit cheeky. And I don't, I don't say it in a demeaning way. It's almost like he's thinking, this is going to be good. <laughs> you know, This is going to be good. Because where is he going to take them? He's going to take them to that ultimate re- revelation of himself. But he's going to make sure they learn some things along the way. He's going to make sure that he breaks down some of those Christian stereotypes that they have of who he is. Anyway, they're standing there. Their faces are downcast. In verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, now Cleopas is the only one named. A lot of scholars actually believe that because the companion is unnamed, it may well have been his wife. And in John, he's referred to as Clopas, who has a wife. May well have been that Cleopas and his wife were disciples of Jesus all through the time, as well as the other disciples, that he did have other disciples. Um, Anyway, so it might have been his wife. It might have just been another guy. We don't really know. And then Cleopas says, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened here or happened there in these days? What things, he asks. <laughs> you know, like God is not like this big force, analytical computer program running in the sky. He's a person. He enjoys re- relating with people in funny kind of ways. <laughs> it's, it's almost like a teasing kind of, what things? Um, now, he's always driven by love. And he's always got the full resources of the Godhead available to him. So he's completely sovereign, knows everything, and yet he stoops to relate with us and to us in everyday language, in everyday nuances of language, in everyday modes of language, including a bit of humor. What things he asked? And they said about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, astounded us, flabbergasted, surprised. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that, we, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So what, what they've said is, yeah, something amazing happened at the tomb. But those women went there um, and we went and checked it with the blokes because they are more authoritative in our society. And they didn't find anybody. Yeah, the tomb was open, but they didn't find anybody. So we're not quite sure what to think.
1: Now, what does Jesus do in that moment? He said to them, how foolish you are. King James says, fools. You are
0: Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's a metonym for the whole Bible. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly the evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? I'm just going to pray. Father, in this next 15 minutes, teach us, lead us, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. You actually deserve fired up hearts. May that be so today in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna springboard off two questions that springboard off these two verses. First one is in verse 16, they were kept from recognizing him. My question simply is this is, why did they not recognize him? Question number one. And then the second question that springboards off this verse, then their eyes were open and they recognize him. So something has happened along the way. They don't see him, they don't recognize him as God, as the Messiah, as Jesus, as the resurrected one. And then something happens. And this is a bit of a parallel with our journey through the Old Testament. It's gonna be, we kind of know him, but we wanna see his face, we wanna know him better. And there's a bit of a progression we have to go through. So why did they recognize him? Um, We'll get to that later. I've got this, it's like a picture burning in my head, an image, and I've never even seen it. I've never seen it for real, and yet it's so powerful, and I'm so looking forward to sharing it with you. I even put a little smiley face here. But firstly, why did they not recognize? Just two reasons, just two reasons. And again, you fill in the blanks yourself. I'm not going through every part of this magnificent passage, but you you look at yourself. Why, Why not? So why didn't they recognize? As they talked in verse 15 and discussed these things with each other, Jesus comes up to them. And then in verse 17, he says, or the Bible tells us, that they stood still and their faces were downcast. That literally means they were grim. Gloomy, they were sad, they were actually traumatized because of what they'd seen. And that's my first point. The map. The map in their heads said Jesus, Redeemer of Israel, Jesus, Messiah, reigning king, kick butt Romans, that kind of stuff. And what had they just seen? Circumstances flood in, all bloody and red,
1: you know, crown of thorns, nails. Circumstances killed that hope, killed it completely.
0: You know, what they saw instead of that crowning, that crowned king and that redeemer was nails, a spear, a jagged crown of thorns, blood, screams, anguish, torture, rasping breath, and then death and a tomb closed over. You you should never underestimate the power of circumstances over your faith and over your hope. You know, here, hope is
1: killed, but faith and love are always collateral damage once hope goes, always. You can't believe in something or love something you have no hope in. Chief priests, the Pharisees, the Roman Empire, they put Jesus
0: to death, and in so doing, they killed hope. So how, how could this be the Redeemer, would have been the question. How can this be the Redeemer up on the cross, Dying. You know, we say that word redeemer based on thousands of years of church history, which is all to do with Jesus saving us from our sins. But back in the day, redeemer simply meant someone who could come to a slave market and save that slave or someone that could come and get rid of an oppressive king over a nation that they put into slavery and redeem them. How can that be? They would have been saying they didn't recognize him because of circumstances. Now, consider right now when you imagine some of the circumstances you might have to go through in the future or that you have been through, there's a big difference between the reality as imagined and the reality as felt. And you know, we learned last year, in the, last week in the More and More sermon about how God's going to give us more grace. You're going to need his grace. You're going to need his walking with you. You're going to need him to, to come alongside you. You are not going to do this on your, on your, on your, on your own power and your own strength. With bad circumstances it can come in and rupture your faith if you are not abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ as He has told us to do. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Second reason why they didn't recognize him. it's a very simple reason. These are very simple physical reasons, guys. And I could show you from an aviation perspective over and over again why people don't see certain things at certain times because of expectations. It's a powerful thing. The second reason is in 25, He says, How foolish you are. As I said, that means literally fools, slow of heart to believe, sounds a bit harsh. What's really interesting here is in the Greek, fools actually literally means without nous. Now I always thought nous was a Aussie word, Aussie slang word, you know, get some nouse about ya. It's actually Greek and it just simply means mind. And so when he says fools, it literally means without a mind. <laughs> you people here without a mind, really what he's saying is you people here, why are you not thinking? Why are you not thinking? And then where does he steer their thinking? Where? To the scriptures. You are slow. You are without nous. Get some nouse about you. Think about the scriptures, guys. Think about them. You know, it's so easy to excuse ourselves because of unbelief, because it seems like one of those hairy fairy kind of things, you know? And so often we go, oh, well, I don't believe. I'll wait for the lightning bolt moment, and then I'll believe. no. Jesus here, over and over again, he gets angry by unbelief. He gets irritated by unbelief. He speaks against it so many times. He fully expects, and he's the son of God, that you shouldn't be unbelieving in the natural course of things. You should be believing, particularly when you've got the scriptures. Now, maybe it's because we are often deliberately ignoring our own impending reality check with death. So these kind of things just aren't that important to us. So we don't go and seek out every possible religious answer to that fact that we're going to die. Instead, we go to our newsfeed and we see what's trending on social media. We start working out what kind of house we have to buy and what we have to do. And all those things aren't bad in themselves. But if they're distracting us from truly seeking out, getting some nows, thinking about things. That's what I want us to do in the mega series is get some nows about us, spiritual nows. Think about the Bible. Think about our unbelief. Open up our hearts and go, what, what kind of harnesses are here? What kind of distractions? And then we see in verse 27, what does Jesus do about them? He begins with Moses, all the prophets. That's Again, that's just a phrase to describe all of the Old Testament. And what's it say there? In all the scriptures, he explained to them the things concerning himself. So from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, into Judges and Joshua and the Psalms and Proverbs and all the prophets and all the in-between books, you look for the face of God and you find the face of Jesus. That is what he's saying here. Why didn't they recognize? For years they had read the words, but they were reading the words alone. They understood the concepts, but the concepts were kind of stop short probably for them. That was their terminus. That was their end point. Instead of let these words, let these concepts, let them be a portal to a relationship with the living God. You don't read the Bible for doctrine, guys. My brothers and sisters, you don't read the Bible for good doctrine. That's called doctrinalism. Doctrinism, I'm making that word up. Any ism, you terminate on it. You should have good doctrine because you want to know your God. You want to know your creator. You want to know your savior well. He is the end point. A relationship with him, him is the end point. That's why some people through the Middle Ages had such... Little amount of scripture or some of them only had pictures on those lead glass windows, those stained glass windows. That's all they had. And yet they had a vibrant living relationship with Jesus because they were faithful with a little bit of knowledge that they did have. We have so much knowledge and we're not faithful with even half of it. What an indictment. This is not me. This is Jesus fools. People without now. That's what he's saying. I pray that as we go through the mega series, that's not us that's not us. I pray that just as Jesus comes and walks with these two disciples, that the Holy Spirit will come and walk with us and teach us. Because that's really what this comes down to now. Those disciples are long dead. That moment has passed in history. It's gone. Now is what matters. The next couple of years is what matters. If we don't recognize him, you know, in our songs, if our songs are, thanks so much, by the way, Tim, for leading us. It was great this morning. If our songs are dead and slow because we are dead and slow, we need to examine ourselves and go, please, Lord, enliven my heart, help me recognize who you really are so that these hero songs burst out of my mouth. They don't struggle their way out. Of it. I just sit there thinking, oh, the words, the words, they're not, no, come on. Come on, let's, like, let's get to know him. Let's get to know him. Let's pray that these songs come out powerfully, whether it's with the guitar alone, or just a cappella, or whatever. It's just they come out powerfully, and our hearts burn. You know why? why weren't the disciples' lives sizzling with post-resurrection power? The circumstances had got to them, and their lack of knowing the person in the words. Because words are just words at the end of the day. But when they're words that lead us to Jesus, help us explain who He is, and no, oh, it's magnificent. That's why I love reading the Bible. That's why even now I don't find it boring. Sometimes, yeah, a little bit, but most of the time I keep going, wow, that's what you think. That's who you are. Or oh, well, that's who you are. I need, to, I need to struggle with that. And every time I do, I always come through the other side going, wow, thanks for that. Don't thank him at the time. Anyway, why did they recognize him? And we finish off here. Now, this is the picture that I wanted to give to you. So you've just got to imagine that they're on that road for 11 kilometres, right? Now, just bear with me as I finish off here. Yeah, maybe you want to close your eyes. I don't know. They're, you're, they're on that road for 11 kilometres, which is about two hours, maybe there's some hills, maybe even three hours, and they're walking. Now, as I'm walking, they're probably walking together so they can speak, you know, kind of line abreast like that. And as they're walking, Jesus might have been on either side, maybe in the middle, I don't know. He's come up beside them, so I doubt he would have gone in the middle. That would have been a bit rude. He's sitting, we're standing on their side, and they're walking along, now you imagine yourself walking along, talking, you're looking ahead, you don't want to trip and stumble, you look to your side, but you're not really looking at the person's face, are you? So why don't you recognize him? Like, Say I'm walking next to Alan I haven't seen for ages and he's grown a mullet, um, and he's got some plastic surgery, he now looks 45, <laughs> by the way you don't look a day over 46. <laughs> As I'm walking along, I glance at him, is that, is that Alan? Is that? Uh, I'm not sure, oh, rock there, better be careful. So that's what's been happening, right? They go in, sit down. Now they're opposite each other on a table probably, or a low one, you know, how they they don't actually sit on a chair back in the day. And when do they recognise him? When he breaks? So I'm gonna do this for you. There's my hands, right? Where's their focus of attention now? On the hand, what do they see when they see his hands? Scars. They see scars. Imagine that. This, was, this makes me kind of prickle with excitement. When they see the scars, it's not just, it's Jesus. They've it's, just had a big lesson on who God is, the magnificence of God and how that points to Jesus or points to the Messiah. And all of a sudden, all that stuff becomes incredibly relevant to them because the hands that cast the cosmos created them are in front of them breaking bread for them. You know how pathetic and small it is to have this picture of a sovereign God who's just off in the end of the universe. Religions all through history have had that picture. Or a big, powerful, Zeus like character. Who cares? This is why I'm a Christian. Because that big, powerful God now breaks bread with scarred hands. And in that moment, they recognize him and he's gone. <laughs> it's done. They will never be the same. I can guarantee when we see them in the new heavens and the new earth, Cleopas and perhaps his wife or companion, they will tell you some stories about what they did after that in their lives. Maybe it was a short life. Maybe they will martyred. We've got no idea. Maybe it was a long life, but they were never the same. They recognized Jesus. And I just pray that we too will recognize him. You know, our map can be wrong. We need to go, this is when I found myself. I went to the satellite picture, which is also known as the God's eye view. And straight away, I could see I was on a path and I found myself. So too with our mega series. We want to look at the Bible, reorientate the little heuristic in our head about what we think God is. And I don't care how old you are. I'm going I'm to specifically look to my older brothers here. And I'm going to ask you to open yourselves up to a new encounter with Jesus. I'm going to ask my friend Tim, BJ, Ben, you know, the guys I know well, Gabe, all of you, if I haven't named you, I'm sorry, Steve. I'm going to ask you to open yourselves up to the possibility of a heart enlivening, invigorating, a burning kind of, for Jesus, experience in the next two years. And I'm going to ask my sisters in the Lord the same thing. I want to hear from you so much over this year. And next two years,
1: I want to ask that oh, the Lord Jesus just grips us. Um, I, want to, I want to finish, I guess, with this thought. And it's simply this, that in John
0: uh, 14, I believe it is, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. I'm leaving you with the counsellor. He's going to what? Teach you all things. So we're very much like those disciples where we're walking along in life we're waiting for Jesus to come again. We've got, we've got a knowledge of him, but it's not that breaking bread with scarred hands, face-to-face knowledge. But he, he, he desires that we would have that. So he says the counselor will teach us all things. So what I'm asking as we go through this mega series is that we would open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and we would ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us and encourage us, and bring about this fellowship of the burning heart. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And I don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> I just know it's really cool and amazing. And I've lost my uh, connection. Can
1: you go to the next slide for me, please, Becky? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. All right, stop there. Um,
0: So I've lost my slide, so I can't actually read the quote, but the quote was from A.W. Toes, and he basically says something like this. He says, I'm for the Methodist, I'm for the Baptist, as long as they are of the fellowship of the burning heart. You know what he was saying there? If you have that fellowship of the burning heart, no matter where your knowledge is or whatever, you're wanting to know Jesus more deeply, you're open to him, that's where I'm at. And that's where I want us to be at. So I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to move into a time of communion, Father, thank you so much for your word to us this morning. May we remember that image of those hands that were scarred, probably freshly so, opening up the bread, breaking the bread. And in that moment, an all-infusing realisation and recognition that would have swept from their head to their toes, through their hearts and their hearts that were already burning. Suddenly they're alive. And what a hope for us. Hearts that are already burning. They were burning before they fully recognize you. They were burning as they were taught from the scriptures. May that be us as well, I pray. Prepare our hearts now to remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if we just Oh, sorry, can you go back to mine, please, Becky? <laughs> so I had a really nice um, bit of prose here I wanted to share with you. I'll see if I can do it from memory. As we come now to the table, again, imagine that scene of the hands, right? Now, these are the hands, if we are true Christians, these are the hands of God. So these are the hands that created the cosmos. These are the hands that have knit together your DNA that makes you who you are. These are the hands that have named constellations, have set planets and moons. We're finding out there's more and more of them all through the universe. These are the hands that all through the Old Testament delivered his people. These are the hands that we remember now, the hands that have come for us, the hands that are scarred. So I encourage you to just think about that a little bit as we come up and take of the bread, and then we'll keep the cup together. And then also think how you can share afterwards with your brothers and sisters
1: some insights or whatever, and I'll put the other slides up shortly. So in your own time, come forward. This is Christ's body broken. Think, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago,
0: probably uh, not a loaf like this, but certainly a loaf of bread being broken,
1: you know, being recognised. The blood spilt for us. uh, In your own time, come and partake.
0: Okay, so there'll be four questions. Uh, You can see we've finished a bit early. And the reason for that is is that we really want to hear more from you, but We recognise that with the prayer and share time, you come from a busy week out there, a distracted week, you might have fought in the car or whatever. And there seems to be, through any church service, I think that's done well, a bit of a softening, a bit of an opening up. Happen through the song, prayer, share. But mainly we believe it happens through the word, through the preaching of the word. So... What we wanted to be able to do just for 10 minutes or so, and sometimes there may be nothing, other times it might, might go on for hours, I don't know. Uh, we've got to be mindful of what goes on in Croatia and Sunday school, of course. But that'll be a bit of a format we try for a while. And there's four questions I've come up with. The first one is, do you have a song to sing? We want to get a new program. And you might be thinking, because I know this happens with Barb and other people as well. Oh, this song, this song fits. Wish we could sing it. So we'll put that question first right and then whoever's up the back when if
1: someone says yeah let's sing amazing grace or well, what's the song we're about to sing uh-huh. oh praise him yeah oh praise him someone
0: scurry away find the slide or whatever on this new program second thing i'll go the second so then there's the other three questions so they can do that do you have a question to ask and i really want you to be i'm not this morning when i prayed i prayed the psalm which says oh god put A guard over my mouth, keep watch over the doorway of my lips. Because oftentimes, well, not oftentimes, sometimes I can say things that are just me. And so what that means is I'm fallible and human, even though I preach from the authority of God's word, I believe that you have, you too have that same authority. You have that same Holy Spirit. So if you have a question, it might just be, hey, did you see that? Or when you said this, it sounded like that. Or, you know, but all leading us to what? Not so that you can show me that your knowledge is better than mine or that I've done something wrong. It's so that, hey, Adrian, can I help you
1: help each other um, become more and more a fellowship of the burning heart? Does that sound cool? So, does anyone have a question?
0: Before we go to the next two questions? And it's always hard to be the first one.
1: (laughs) But if there's nothing burning. Oh, there is. See what I did there? That was a pun. Oh, okay, go to the no, next, no, no. During, during go to the next
2: slide. No, it's definitely not
1: an insight. <laughs> Come on, maybe I should just make comment to share. Yeah, this is a comment. Yeah, you awesome. I wish
2: I could hmm Yeah. yeah 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 mm yeah 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 mm yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. 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 I guess I wanted, to, I wanted to cover as well. I'm so glad you brought that up. Is that the big picture is that they're there as well. Like they're distracted, they're in circumstance. And what does Jesus do about it? He doesn't leave them like that. And I just think that's a beautiful picture for us. Is we do have all that. I'm so glad you acknowledge it. Because I feel the same. Yeah. I know. But that, that's because he loves them, though. You know. Because they are actually being fools. If God says you're a fool, you're a fool. <laughs> and so, but the whole point is he's kind of walking with them. He's taken the time to get his feet dusty, even in his new post-resurrection body. He's still walking with his people. And I really believe in the imminent, felt, um, existential uh, companionship of God's Holy Spirit with us to walk with us. You know what I'm saying? This is not, this is not, this is not a mystical ghost. This is the very person of God. We never, it's never called it. It's never called it. He, it's called he. It's called... The Holy Spirit is called he. He's a person and he walks. with And I just know this year, if we will just go, you know what? In those moments, we just go, oh, I am being distracted or I am so caught up in work. Or, I am so caught up in just negative thoughts about other people in the church. Or I'm just caught up in preconceptions. Just to say in that moment, could you help me, Lord? Oh, there's a better way here. There's got to be. A, it feels kind of good to think like that. But to go, there's a better way, Father. Help me. There's a better way. The conversations, you know, conversations when we talk about each other. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that that message that came from Joanne was very prophetic for us. You might not have liked all of it, you might have struggled with some things, but in terms of the judgmentalism, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think that will be a constant threat to the fellowship of the burning heart for all of eternity. And I struggle with it when you start to be negative. <laughs> you know, sometimes you've got to vent, but what I'm saying is, Lord, show me a better way. Show me something that, a conversational trajectory that will excite, and bring us closer to you, bring us closer to one another. And in that conversation, can you honestly say, okay, this person, let's pray for them. Let's pray for me. Let's pray that we have a Jonathan and David relationship, which is the only real type of kingdom relationship there is where you just really respect and love each other. You know, Anyway, I didn't mean to go on that much. So whenever you start something new, there's always a little bit of that awkwardness, but I'm really convinced that this could be something really special. Even then, you know, just hearing that and hearing that, that's something I wouldn't have thought of or brought out or so that's how I really see us as a fellowship of the burning heart kind of sparking off each other bringing new insights um, that I can't bring myself from the pulpit because I'm just one person but the Holy Spirit's amongst all of us so yeah so is that cool like everyone happy with what we're doing there and we might um, stand and sing this song Um, and by the way if you have insights later on or you're in the word and you're paralleling us I've put all the documents up there the one page plan, the, the scripture outline, I'm still working on that. And Barb's done an awesome job just formatting and stuff. But
1: uh, yeah, if you have anything during the week, just put it up on Facebook or text me or whatever. But thank you.